Ready? One, two, three, four. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Hudson tries to answer and does. Play Hudson with back-to-back threes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Wiggins a three-pointer. Puts it in. A 15-point lead with 143 to play. The Warriors are ready to celebrate. The Dr. T.C. Martin launches. The doctor is now in. And the Dubs are still alive. That's right. Much needed victory last night over the Sacramento Kings. I think we talked about that during this week. Game three, blowout. And it definitely was last night. TC Martin, Marco D'Angelo in the house at our Friday home, the Westgate of Las Vegas, inside the world famous Superbook Jam Pack Show coming your way today. We will talk NBA playoffs, recap last night's action, and look ahead to tonight's games as well as tomorrow's. Lakers back in action against Memphis. They'll be hosting at the Crypto.com Center, the site where the Clippers lost last night to the uh, Phoenix Suns. So we've got all that to talk about and a whole lot more. It is fight weekend, as you know, here in Las Vegas. And uh, one of the greatest referees of all time, International Boxing Hall of Famer, Jolton Joe Cortez will be in the house today as we preview Javante Tank Davis and Ryan King Garcia. And uh, that fight takes place tomorrow night at T-Mobile Arena. And uh, that is a Showtime pay-per-view. Our good friend Al Bernstein will be on the call on that one. And appreciate Al for joining us earlier in the week. Yesterday, Stitch Duran, the Cutman extraordinaire, another International Boxing Hall of Famer. Nothing but Hall of Famers, you know, all week. <laughs> as I now look over to my left and see Marco D'Angelo. <laughs> oh, thanks. Great, great intro, buddy. <laughs> That's usually people say when, you know, I, I bring them on the show. I really like the intros. Isn't Marco the food bet Hall of Famer? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure he likes that uh, title, but that would be apropos. Marco's always good. You want to go to dinner with Marco, I mean, he'll he'll pick up the tab. He'll honor his bets. And uh, speaking of which, uh, we got to do that again. Got to do it again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But see, when Marco has his good nights at poker, when he starts, you know, texting me and showing me these pictures of all these red chips, yeah. uh, red and sometimes some black chips, yeah. I don't feel guilty at all. And then I feel like, okay, good. Well, you know, yeah. that uh, those ham and acres he's playing poker with, taking their money from, they're paying for our dinner. <laughs> don't you look at it like that? Hey, they're coming to Las Vegas to give give away some of their money. They might as well give it to me. <laughs> Why, you know? Yeah, but no one is telling you that you need to, you know, play dress-up cowboy and go to some of these establishments and act like you're from Podunk, Iowa, and you're dumber than a box of rocks, and then you start taking their money. I mean, that's fighting stuff. I mean, you saw Rounders. I mean, it really, I mean what, what happened when, when Matt Damon and uh, and Edward Norton Jr., they, you know, went up, uh, you know, upstate New York? You saw what happened. Yeah, because Matt Damon was with the stupid <laughs> that is the stupidest sidekick ever in uh, a movie. Come That's on, true. Uh, he wasn't. You know, you talk about as dumb as a box of rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, looking forward to uh, today's show here at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world's largest Superbook, and a good crowd on hand here today. And like I said, we've got more NBA playoffs to talk about. 
uh, on the docket here. We'll talk about today's game. We got Boston and Atlanta, Cleveland and the Knicks, and Denver and Minnesota. We'll talk about that. And I was really pumped up for the game three last night in San Francisco as the Warriors, you know, did play well enough to win in uh, in Sacramento in those two games. But Sacramento was just uh, the better team. The Warriors did not take care of the basketball and all rectified last night. So no Draymond Green. Uh, no problem for the Warriors last night with a big 114-97 victory. Easy cover. The Warriors were were lane six. Line actually opened seven and a half. Got uh, bet down the other way. And the racket she got you know not only bet down but the uh, bookmakers moved the line down too with the Draymond Green suspension. But uh, that did not come into play. And I, I know you didn't have a dog in that fight, uh, Marco. But that was definitely a one-sided game. The Kings never led in the contest. Warriors went wire to wire. Yeah, and uh, it's been one of those spots where, you know, the zigzag has worked, uh, you know, in some of the series. Some of them it hasn't. I'm curious when we talk to uh, John Murray later on, there's the old adage of teams that are down 0-2 returning home. Generally, they're going to see a lot of money first quarter, first half wagers, as well as full game, because you know that the home team's going to come out with the intensity. And I think last night, you never want to see one of your star players out, but I think having Draymond Green out last night ensured, not that you shouldn't have already, but it ensured maximum effort from the Warriors. And we talk about, you know, like injured player theory angles and stuff like that. You got the full arsenal last night start to finish from the Warriors send a message now let's see when Draymond comes back in game four if they have that same intensity start to finish against the Kings I'm sure they will too because you got to remember the Warriors are a fantastic home team I mean not only do they win games at home but they play defense at home and you talk about splits it is just amazing and it's been much uh, publicize their road record, uh, only 11 victories all season. Again, 0-2 on the road in Sacramento during the uh, the playoffs thus far, but 11 victories during the course of the regular season where they are dead last in defense. When they're at home, they're third best in the NBA. It's the same players. <laughs> it just makes you wonder. But like I've said before, and I think it was you and a couple of people had this conversation. They go, well, the Warriors just terrible defensively. And I go, that's really blown out of proportion. Because when the Warriors have meaningful games, especially in postseason games, and they need stops, they usually come up with those stops. And at home especially, that is a tremendous home court advantage. The Kings had one of the best road records during the course of the regular season. But... The Kings youth showed up a little bit last night. And again, it was the perfect storm. It was the perfect spot for the Warriors. Their backs against the wall, down to nothing. You give me Clay Thompson and Steph Curry uh, still, even though you had no Draymond Green. And another thing, uh, I'm sure there could have been maybe some last-minute money coming in on the Kings as well, too, when word got out that Gary Payton II was not going to play. And that was a huge blow. So, therefore, that means more minutes for Kaminga, more minutes for Moody, uh, Jordan Poole, more minutes, which hasn't been a good thing in the first two games. But Poole, you know, showed up pretty good last night as well, too. But it was a great spot for the Warriors. They got that victory. Game four will be Sunday afternoon back in San Francisco. Would not surprise me if the Warriors bounce right back in and win again because they do got the mojo now. And I think you're going to get that added boost because now you got Draymond Green back 
in your own building. And we know what he's like, and we know what those how those fans feel about him in that building. Yeah, it's a good, you know, you said perfect storm last night. Do you realize that through the playoffs so far, the point spread has only been a factor in one game? You pick the winner of the game, and you've, you've got the point spread winner as well. Should have been two games where the point spread came into play last night. Uh, I, I was involved in that other one, and, you know, what a sequence to end the final two minutes of that game when they, you know, virtually led the whole, you know, the whole game. Our good friend Scott Spritzer pointed that out on the show yesterday, and he threw out the numbers of, of 45 in a row, or 45 and 0. I guess that's, you know, dating back, I guess, you know, I guess to last year, but just, you know, phenomenal. And, yeah, whoever wins the game, it was point spread is not not in question there, except for one game last night that uh, seemed really really sad. The uh, uh, Philadelphia 76ers ended up getting the job done. If you had the Brooklyn Nets, got to feel sorry for you a little bit too. But then again, I mean, I love taking the higher seeded team where you're only laying a handful of points on the road in that game three, and that's usually a, a, a money maker. But you decided to opt with, with the Nets who got blasted in the first two games. I did. It was one of those ones where, you know, you know I'm a contrarian, uh, you know, and we look for the spots. And to me, of the games last night, the hardest or home team to take, you know, down, you know, as they were 0-2, to me was Brooklyn. Uh, you know, they got Philadelphia smacked them in both games at home. And Philadelphia has been one of those teams. We've seen it time and time again. <laughs> you know, they sometimes play to the level of their competition. And they won the first two games so easily. I just thought that they would have a false sense of security going in there. I thought Brooklyn was going to bring everything that they had last night. Uh, they played scrappy in uh, until the final two minutes of the game. They had a five-point lead late in the game, getting four and a half. And they end up scoring one point the final two minutes and 15 seconds. Got some seconds free throws in there as well, too, yeah, which is always then, a killer. Then the turnover. Yep. The turnover at the end that <laughs> you know, resulted in the, the breakaway uh Dunk it, yeah, that, yeah. There might have been, there might have been a few foul words. Let's say I couldn't have said them on the uh, show today. That would have broke a couple FCC rules. <laughs> you need that stress ball, man, so you don't, you know, throw those items at your television. Yeah, you know, when you're watching that game. Fortunately, I was out, so I had to be restrained. <laughs> All right. So as we look ahead to Sunday's game with with the Warriors and the Kings now, and and we talked about Golden State. You can make the argument, and no one probably likes to, to say this or mention this, but, you know, the Warriors said it. They go, we felt that they could have won both of those games in Sacramento. But when you have, you know, 20 turnovers in game one and 15 turnovers in game two, you're not going to win many basketball games. In game three, the Warriors did a better job of taking care of the Rock. They only turned it over 11 times, but Sacramento turned it over 15 times. And, you know, the big key points were, they, they finally got offensive rebounding, out-rebounded uh, the Kings, and also points in the paint they dominated, which they thoroughly got dominated themselves you know, in that. So when you, when you look at the key stats to the first three games of this series, I mean, it, it's turnovers. I mean, you know, when you turn the ball over that much, I mean, you're not going to have success, especially like games one and two for the Warriors. Those turnovers led to 16 points 
for the Kings in game one, 25 points in game two. And then last night, Sacramento's uh, 15 turnovers led to 32 Golden State Warrior points last night. So it's, it's pretty simple. You take care of the basketball, you rebound, play defense, you're going to win. And it's crazy. This happens with the Warriors, whether they get bored or they, you know, lethargic. But I'm not buying that they're an older team and their 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 time is over. I'll give the Kings a lot of credit. I mean, they've got good young talent. But what is going to happen if this series goes into Game Six and Game Seven? Are they going to be able to win a a Game Seven on their home floor if it gets to that way? If this thing plays out where the home team wins every game, which I got got a feeling it it is. But who would you rather have, Marco, To a, in, in, a, in a game five or a game seven? Would you rather have that team of the Warriors who has that experience, been here so many times before, or the Kings who have this abundance of talent, it's young talent, but still haven't been in this situation before? There's, I can make a case for both. You know, So we'll play is the glass half empty or half full. Obviously... The most uh, obvious part of it is you want the experience factor. The experience factor is going to play there. The problem with the Warriors where the so-called, oh, they're old and so forth, the longer they go in a series, the more taxing it's going to be. Now, you catch the benefit, and we talked about this Monday when we did the show, I hate the way they spread the first round out, okay? So that gives the Warriors some breaks in there where they can, you know, those old banged up bodies could, you know, have that extra day to rest or whatever. Once we start going further into the playoffs and we do get into that every other day and the longer the series go, I think it becomes a disadvantage for for them. To that point, so you had the one day in between games one and two. You had two days off in between two and three. Two days off between three and four. All right, but then when you get into five, six, and seven, you're going back to the only the one day off. Right. So if you have those three games, it's going to be within a six day span. And again, it's television. It's crazy. Not a fan of it. Uh, but this is this is what we get, and this is why the NBA Finals take place in the middle of June now. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. All right. Well, we'll talk more about uh, tonight's games. In the NBA playoffs as well, but uh, do want to mention uh, last night's uh, Vegas Golden Knights game, where the Knights uh, were tied 2-2. It looked like uh, maybe even early on the Knights may find themselves down two games to none. The series with the series shifting to Winnipeg coming up uh, uh, tomorrow, but the Golden Knights came up with three unanswered third period goals. Um, and they tie the series at one game apiece. Final score last night: the Golden Knights defeat the Winnipeg Jets five to two. Uh, just a much better performance than the Knights. I know that you and I talked about this before. We were both at the game on on Tuesday night, where it was just pathetic, a pathetic performance by the Golden Knights, and it kind of started out that way again in Game Two. But luckily, they're able to turn around. In your opinion, what turned it around for them last night? Well, first of all, let's hats off to Bersois for keeping them in the game in the first period. They should have been down three nothing. Okay, after the first period. They got peppered in that first period. They had a couple golden opportunities early in the game, and uh, Hellebach played extremely well for, you know, five periods of this uh, of this series so far. He had the bad third period uh, yesterday. But, you know, TC, the fans here in Vegas, and, and I hope we won't get a mob out there waiting to give you, they, they got spoiled, and they really don't understand the game. After game one, 
in reading, you know, I love to read Twitter, and then you've got all your Facebook groups talking about Nobody understands the game. They just think they're supposed to go out there like machines every single game. And I heard things like, why is Bruce Wass starting? Because he hadn't lost a game since they brought him up, you know. And Quick's got all that playoff experience. No, Quick's at the end of his career. That's why Bruce Wass started all the games down the stretch. Then why did they put Stone in? He's your captain. He's your offensive dynamo yes there's going to be rust do you want the further they go in the playoffs the better they're going to be having mark stone and what you saw on tuesday when i was there my takeaway from the game was yeah this was a team that looked flat and out of sync how could they be flat for the start of the playoffs well because they were in a three-week battle down the stretch of the season trying to secure that number one seed against an edmonton team that didn't lose, okay? They couldn't shake them away. One loss, and they would have had separation. But they had to win to the final game of the season, and that takes its toll. Then you bring Mark Stone into it. Yes, there's going to be rust for him, but more importantly, TC, it changed the lines because now you're moving Mark Stone into a line which moves who was in that line to another line, and everybody's playing with somebody different. And yes, they looked bad on Tuesday, but they had a day off. To go back to the drawing board, and every day they play, Mark Stone's going to get better. And you know, if he gets better, he had two goals last night and assists. What more do you want? This team's going to be okay. And Broussois, yes, we talk about the Kings and experience. This is his first playoffs games, and he's going against the guy that was his mentor that he was behind. Hellebach when he was at Winnipeg. You know, and as we said earlier in the week, I mean, you get some good Hellebuck and you get some bad Hellebuck. I mean, that's who he is. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people think, wow, he's he's outstanding. He, he, In my opinion, Hellebuck's never been a top-tier goaltender. But, you know, he can get hot, he can get cold, and you saw it in one game last mm-hmm. night. Again, it was a carryover. That first period was a carryover for him from game number one. But then the third period w- went bad. And, and uh, all those goals weren't Hellebuck's fault. But, you know... Uh, he had something to do with the Golden Knights scoring, but kind of like the Warriors situation, you know, your backs are against the wall, you're at home, you do not want to be down 0-2, even though you're in theory facing an 8 seed, but as we've talked about so many times, hockey, throw that it's out different. the window. Just throw that out the window, and you can make the argument these two teams are evenly matched. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you as far as Mark Stone. You want him out there. Of course there's going, going to be rust. But, yeah, fans are, are still, Marco, in my opinion, they're always going to be kind of anti-Brossois um, because of they look at his history, okay? This is a guy that was with the Henderson Silver Knights, okay? This is a guy that got, uh, you know, waived, you know, early on in this year and then got sent up, that got sent back down. And then, you know, basically the only reason he's up here is because you had – the goalie situation going back to, to Robin Leonard and, and and then Logan Thompson, you know, the injuries with that. So I think fans are never going to be sold on this guy until, you know, he wins maybe 10 in a row or something <laughs> absurd like that. You know, he's going to have to have more time vested in the league for fans, I think, to really, you know, put their arms around this guy. But if you just look at his resume just for, you know, his entire career, which is really this year, you're going to say, that guy's pretty unimpressive, yeah. you know. He's, but he's played well with his time of the nights, especially here in the last month and a half or so. 
nine, I think he had like a 925 uh, save percentage yeah. for the 10 games that he, he had. Didn't lose a game in regulation uh, all during the regular season. And he has said it that when he had the hip surgery, you know, la, you know, to start the season in that, he's as healthy as he's been. He's got more flexibility now than he ever has. And he's playing for a coach that the formula, his style of play, is perfectly suited for the goaltenders, okay? And it's why we had five different goalies this year, and they all had winning records, okay? Tell, find me, You find me any team that's had to start five different goalies in a season, and all of them have winning winning records. You, that's not – that doesn't happen, okay? So let's see how it goes. Hockey is the one sport, TC, and you know it. A t- uh, goalies can carry a team – if you get a goalie get hot, he can win a he single handedly yep. can win a series, and we saw that with St. Louis a couple of years ago. That team was in last place, and they made a goalie switch, you know, to Binghamton, and right. he went. They went on a run all the way to the Stanley Cup championship. You kind of saw that firsthand back in Pittsburgh back in the day too, as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no question. The Golden Knights now will go to Winnipeg, and unlike the NBA, you don't really have these extra days off. The Golden Knights can use one. Think yeah. about this, okay? Even though you're you're going to Canada, it is it's a fairly easy trip, actually, Vegas to Winnipeg, believe it or not. But you got this oddball 1 p.m. Pacific start, yeah. three o'clock Winnipeg starts. They're in the Central Time Zone, but you know you're coming right back. So the Golden Knights actually uh, had a little brief little skate this morning. Then they got on a plane, and then. Boom, uh, they actually just landed in Winnipeg right now. So they'll have about 20 hours before they get on the ice for uh, game number three tomorrow. But uh, what kind of effort, not effort, but what kind of game do you think that we see uh, in game three tomorrow in Winnipeg? Vegas's goals got to be they got to win one of the two games. That's... You know, we talk about that all the time. When you're the road team and, you know, in those first two games, you want to split. That's what Winnipeg did. Now Vegas has to do the same thing, whether it's the game tomorrow or it's the game uh, on Monday night. Both teams are going to have to deal with that, you know, the short travel thing. And I know you say, well, that's Winnipeg's time zone. Yeah, but Winnipeg's been here for the last, you know, five days, uh, you know, getting ready for the series to start and then to play the, you know, the two games. So, you know, they're on West Coast time right now. We'll see what happens. I think the biggest thing that happened last night, my two takeaways, and I was texting a buddy during the game, the fa- and that was before Stone scored the second goal. The fact that Eichel and Stone got on the board was huge for the Knights. Eichel, you know, all the talk had been about he had never been in a playoff game yet all that time in Buffalo. He gets his first playoff goal in game two. That could set him off. And if you talk about rust, if you score two goals in your second game back, can we put the rust factor, you know, to rest? The guy's a veteran. I okay. mean, come on. He's, now he's a veteran. He's the team captain. I mean, see so yeah. You know, out the window again. It, it's like everything, Marco. It's like people remember the last thing they saw. It doesn't matter what sport. Doesn't matter even in sports in life in general. Yeah. Somebody did something. That's all they remember. Uh, but 
and now with social media, it's, everybody's an expert. Yeah. And they absolutely know nothing of what they're watching that they're talking about. I, I, I read the comments. And I just go, oh, my God. I, I can't. I, I, I just got to move on because I, I want to go in and say something, and I bite my tongue <laughs> sometimes. All right. So of the eight first-round series in the NHL playoffs, six of the eight are tied at one. Only two series. Uh, you have a two-game to none lead. That is uh, Carolina over the Islanders, and you have uh, the Rangers uh, in the Devils. But we've seen that Tampa Bay is is not automatic. I mean, they 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 got blasted by the Maple Leafs uh, yesterday, seven to two. We saw what the Kraken did to uh, the Avalanche, the defending champs, and the Avalanche. They were life and death to win last night, three were, to two. They were down two nothing in so that game. So you could have a lot of long first round series, which sometimes is not the case here. Do you think this one with the Golden Knights and the Jets goes deep? I think this one goes to seven. I really do. I because I, I think they're going to end up splitting in Winnipeg. And bringing it back to making it a three-game series, and it's you know two out of three will be here in hockey. Probably more than any other sport, TC. I don't think home ice has that that big of an edge uh, compared to other sports. Mm. You know, definitely football is a totally different story. You know, home field there because when the crowd gets involved, you're you know you can disrupt plays. You know, they can hear and so forth. That's not the case in in hockey and uh you know it comes to hustle it comes to one bad pass and that's what happened you know where the knights were having breakdowns in that first period they were outshot i think like 17 to 8 and then they put up 19 20 shots something in the second period right. which that has not been the norm for them they've played defense they got aggressive last night and it, it paid off but that can backfire too because when you're putting all those pucks on the goal if they get a clean break out the other way you know that's what creates you know two on one breaks and so forth and that puts your your goalie out on an island so but they played well good team effort they got to feel good going to winnipeg in uh colorado I had that game on as well as I was watching the Knights. The Kraken, you got to wonder for being a young team, they had them on the ropes 2 nothing. They were one up 1-0 in the series and up 2 nothing on the road to the defending champs. How's, you know, how do they bounce back mm-hmm. as a young team letting a game slip away that they they had last night. All right, Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, game number three coming up uh, tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, so that's good. That's a, a break up a little uh, TV viewing for us with NBA playoffs, you know, on Saturday night. And then, mm. of course, the fight tomorrow night, too, with Javante Davis and, and Ryan Garcia. So I'm fine with afternoon hockey. But is that going to break up your, you know, hamburger run for Saturday? It, it's funny you said that. <laughs> it, it, it's so funny you said that because I already factored in. <laughs> One o'clock is good because what I normally do on my Saturday is make my hamburger run uh, more like a, like eleven thirty or so. Okay. You know, say a little bit early, skip the breakfast on Saturday, have my leisurely you know day, especially if I don't I don't got nothing going. Uh, but then uh, I, I got to be careful because, you know, I will have a high-octane dinner like I am tonight <laughs> and, and tomorrow night. So I'm going to factor that in. But uh, tomorrow I'm actually looking ahead. And uh, you can even join me if you want tomorrow. I'm going <laughs> to extend an invitation to you. I'm giving up the burger tomorrow, and I'm going to one of my uh, newfound uh, uh, pizza establishments uh, oh, over on you your go. side of town tomorrow. So you might know you and Nubchuck probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, uh, pizza, and then uh, maybe, you know, watch a little – of the uh, the hockey game while I'm 
diving into some deep dish. Deep dish, yeah. If you were the thin cut, I might have been interested. It but don't have to be deep dish. Yeah. But there are yeah. options. You know, yeah. I I know you're the mid. You know, you, you like from your days in, in the Midwest in the deep dish. I've never been a big fan of the deep. No, dish. I, and it's funny you say that because I'm probably not going to go the deep dish. Uh, I I kind of really like. I'm a medium guy. I'm a medium with everything, as you know, with my steaks and everything. Yeah. I'm a medium guy. Give me a a a good medium. I, I don't like cracker thin. The deep dish I can do. I'm fine with mm-hmm. it. But if I have to have my my go-to, it's it's that kind of medium thick crust. What time are we going? <laughs> New York style. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, noon. Yeah. Noon. Deal. I'll be there. You'll be there. <laughs> Look at he took that invitation and ran with it. Right? Quick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go, Nub Chuck. He's you know, Marco. You can you can join as well too. I'll, I'll see what my schedule uh, looks like tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of schedule, let's talk about the rest of uh, today's show. John Murillo will join us, the uh, executive director here at the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. So we'll talk uh, to him about the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup, and also uh, NFL breaking news from a gambling side. So hang tight with that. We're going to d- dive into that. Long Kruger will be joining us at the uh, top of the hour as uh, we talk NBA playoffs. And a lot of people, you know, they failed to realize that Lon Kruger was an NBA coach as well as a Hall of Fame college basketball coach. Uh, he was a coach of the Atlanta Hawks back in the day as well, too. So we'll talk that with him. And also, uh, it's almost time for Coaches versus Cancer, which uh, he has uh, uh, you know, been behind and actually founded the event here in Vegas since 2008, 16 years of running. Always love talking to Lon when uh, that uh, is approaching. That will be coming up here in, in a few weeks. So first of a couple more times, we'll have Lon on before that event. And then one of the greatest boxing referees of all time. And uh, just like uh, not only is he International Boxing Hall of Famer, but he's a Las Vegas legend, too, because he's been here forever. Uh, Joe Cortez will be in the house, and we will preview Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. All right, Action Pack Show. As you know, our Friday home here at the Westgate Las Vegas inside <laughs> the Superbook. Hey, everyone. This is Carnell, a.k.a. Golden Pipes. And I want to welcome you back to the T.C. Martin Show. Back here at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. T.C. Martin, Marco D'Angelo, and John Murray joins us in this segment. A lot to hit on here today. And again, I know John's a big boxing fan, so we'll talk Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. See where the money is going with that. NBA playoffs, and of course... Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Golden Knights and the Winnipeg Jets now tied at one game apiece. An afternoon affair in Winnipeg tomorrow. We'll hit on all that. But uh, we uh, talk a little bit about uh, the news, uh, the breaking news that came down earlier today. Four Detroit Lions players have been suspended for violating the NFL gambling policy. They use their mobile apps at, and actually were betting. Um, not all of them were betting on NFL games, but they were betting on other things. But they were doing it at the Lions facility, which is a total no-no. And anyone who's been inside an NFL locker room, there's this big old sign on front before you go in and even inside. Be no gambling whatsoever. But I think a lot of people think, well, the NFL's kind of softened up on that because, you know, it is kind of hypocritical because, you know, you got all these partnerships with all these sports books that, you know, now you've got betting stations in some NFL stadiums and NBA and NHL arenas. But still, NFL is monitoring this very, very closely. They do not want their players uh, betting. So, You've got uh, wide receiver uh, Quintus Cephas and uh, safety C.J. Moore. 
they've been suspended indefinitely, all right, because they actually were betting on NFL football games. You have wide receivers, uh, Jamison Williams and uh, Stanley Berryhill. Now, Jamison Williams was a first-round pick last year, uh, wide receiver for the Lions. Those two apparently did not bet on any NFL games or betting on other things. And the other player, Shaka Tony, for the uh, Washington Commanders. And uh, those three guys will miss the first six games of the season. But two players uh, basically at this point in time now have been waived uh, by the Lions. So John Murray joins us. Uh, John, when you hear this, I mean, what, uh, this is something that you know we've talked about this so many times about, well, this is why Las Vegas will never get sports. That was the, the thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, the barricade was broken with the Golden Knights and everything else. So I think a lot of people think, oh, this stuff has gone away. But NFL is, you know, this is now the second story, at least second or third story in the last year. Uh, because, uh, you know, we had uh, Calvin Ridley get busted for this, and he's got suspended for a year. It's been pretty easy to bet on sports for a long time, guys. I mean, uh, now now it's finally regulated in most of the markets, but I always thought they were unfairly picking on Las Vegas. And uh, what did the other guys get suspended for? They weren't betting on the NFL. What were they betting on? They didn't say. It was college. college. It was college, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because you said no gambling. Does that mean they can't like play cards? No, they can do that, but you yeah. just can't do. Like, I'm sure all these guys are gambling uh, uh, on the golf course. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, they're probably all betting each other, probably playing well, video can, games against one another and gambling. I can tell you, I've firsthand seen. I've seen the money go down at dominoes in that locker the room. Dominoes. I've yeah. seen. I, they're, they're, yeah, these guys love playing dominoes, but yeah, just uh, you using a, a mobile app is just forbidden and uh, that sort of thing. But well, these are competitive guys, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that they'd be betting. Um, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't move the needle for us. We didn't adjust any odds. <laughs> well, no. I, yeah, like I understand about that. But people, yet, people ask that. You'd be surprised every time any player gets yeah. traded or cut, even an inconsequential player. People always ask that question. Yeah. Um, is this the beginning of the floodgates? Is it gonna? Is it gonna come out now that like everybody on the Lions is gambling? Then we have to do something. Maybe that's why they finally started covering spreads last year. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, the, the Lions are a very popular team this year, Marco. They're they're going to be a very trendy team yeah. as we head into the season. I know that for sure. They already are. Uh, be bad news for them. It'd be very typical of that franchise, though, if like half their team got suspended for gambling. I, I wish they would have reported if they were plus EV gamblers or not, though. Because <laughs> you know, if you Listen. just if you just screwed your career over making bets, I hope you were at least winning them. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably weren't. And they weren't. And remember we got the information about Calvin Ridley. Not only was he not winning, but he wasn't playing very much money. No. I think I was playing like, you know, 20, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I mean, that, that's all he was playing, just messing around with parlays. Yeah. So it's not like, uh, you know, like some of these athletes are, are coming in and, and hammering themselves like we see with uh, some boxers. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, John, you know, huge fight this weekend. And I know that you're uh, – Intrigued by the fight. Uh, yeah. Joe Cortez is going to be joining us uh, next hour. Always great with him. But um, the, the news out that uh, Javante Davis, is, you know, wanted to have a side bet with Ryan Garcia and bet their purse. So Davis is making $5 million uh, and uh, Garcia is making 2.5. So it's a pretty good deal for Ryan Garcia. <laughs> but you do hear this talk a lot, but this story has some legs because Javante Davis is dead serious about this. And, you know, one of his mentors is 
you know, Floyd Mayweather Jr., as we know, you know, how, how Floyd likes to fire, right? But I don't know if anything's correlated with that. But, uh, yeah, this, this is a story that I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Uh, kind of foolish when you think about it. But, you know, these guys have egos, and uh, they think they're going to win. They they, they want to earn a little bit of extra money, even though they don't need to, because they're both getting, uh, you know, decent paychecks, and they get a percentage of the pay-per-view. That's about the right price of the fight. You know, <laughs> yeah, Javante's got to lay about two bucks on yeah. himself. That's yeah. about right. Yeah, Javante, you could just come into the sports book and bet. I don't know if they're going to take that much. Yeah. <laughs> Five to win 2.5. You could probably get it down around town if you moved around a little bit. Uh, I don't believe that the guys would actually bet their paychecks. That's ridiculous. I mean, this is a, regardless of uh, how long these guys fight, they only get so many fights like this. These are chances for these guys to cash in. They've been working towards this for a long time. They've been talking about this specific fight for years. Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, they've been going back and forth for years about this fight. They're both going to be making a lot of money tomorrow. My advice to them would be to hang on to that money and don't bet it. That'd be very silly. You, you do realize that the mentality of most of these boxers, you're asking, these guys say that they don't actually, the, the, they don't actually do this. Uh, we've heard this before, like, oh, they're going to bet their purse. I know, no one, but no this one actually one, does. That's why I didn't pay too much attention to it. But then when it, he kept talking about it more and more, it's like, okay, is he is he serious about this? But we have seen boxers, and I don't know if you have any personal stories, but I, I know a couple that actually, you know, boxers go and they bet on themselves, or they have, you know, their trainer, their handlers, you know, okay, go yeah. go put go put a hundred grand, put five hundred grand on, on on myself, you know. We've, we've heard, seen, that. Uh, seen that stuff, heard about yeah. that stuff. Yeah, uh, guys betting betting on themselves. Right. I've seen that over the years. Kind of like that, though. Uh, don't not you? for yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I get it. They're confident they're going to win, and yeah. I can respect that. All right, the fight itself, who do you like? I think Gervonta Davis is going to win. I think he's going to knock out Ryan Garcia, but I've seen some sharp bets on Garcia. You guys have probably seen the price has been coming down ever since we opened it. Uh, I've talked to some people that I respect that like Garcia. Uh, I've talked to some other sportsbook people that I really respect that really like Davis. So I, I think it's great. I think it's great. There's, there's people that I really think are sharp that know boxing that like both guys. And that makes me excited to watch the fight tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. I think Davis is going to win. We're going to need Davis to win. Uh, Garcia has been a pretty public dog here at the Superbook. Not unusual. You know, yeah. don't run out and say, like, oh, public dog. Yeah. The the dogs are usually public in fights. Mm -hmm. People don't want to bet 100 bucks to win 40 They want to bet 100 bucks to win 250 bucks. Mm -hmm. So you always see the higher ticket count on the dog, almost always. Yeah. It's and not then, really that unusual, Mark. And then the last two hours, yeah. you, you'll see the sh you know the other side of the sharp scale come in and bet the favorite at a reduced price. So we've been we've been experimenting with that a little bit because we got a lot of liability to Garcia, and I think the public's going to bet Garcia tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I, I lowered the price yesterday to two hundred on Gervonta just to see what happened. Got some nibbles, but not as many as I thought. Mm -hmm. I think that the wise guys are waiting. I think they know the price is going to probably go even lower, which is why I went there. Early. yesterday because mm. i agree with that mm -hmm. and i think that they're waiting I, I mean we'll see what happens you know i've been wrong many times over the years but i do think the public is going to come in on garcia i think you might see this price get even lower as we get as we get closer to saturday good volume on the total too uh some sharp money under seven and a half rounds which that would seem to favor Gar uh sorry davis mm -hmm. you would think davis would probably be the more likely fighter to get a ko mm -hmm. if there is going to be a ko tomorrow i'm not saying that there's no chance of garcia knocking him out i just think gervonta that's got a more likely path to a mm -hmm. ko 
both are, are big KO guys. Yes. I mean, Davis 28-0, 26 knockouts, and, and Davis uh, 23-0 with 19 knockouts. So they both got the pop. They both got the punch. I think this fight is going to be a mirror image of what we saw just three, four weeks ago when Benavidez and Plant, Plant won the early rounds. Yeah. Benavidez a slow starter, and then turned around and kicked his tail, uh, you know, basically rounds, you know, 6 through 12. Um, that fight was almost stopped in in Plant's corners. Stitch Duran was on the show yesterday and, and talked about that. He said, man, they, you know, we'll almost stopped that fight in the last round because the cut was was so bad and didn't have a chance really to win. But, you know, Plant wanted to keep going on the fight. I'll, that'll never happen with Garcia because he's got a big heart. But I look at Garcia winning the early rounds. Because uh, that's kind of what he does, and Davis is a slow starter. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised if if Garcia builds up a little bit of a lead, and then as the fight progresses, then the power comes out with Davis. And this is kind of usually his his mo. If there's going to be a knockout, I think it, it would probably be maybe towards the later rounds. Well, maybe look to bet a uh, in game if you like Gervonta. Then yeah, you know if you think Garcia is going to, co- I agree with you. Your assessment of the early rounds, by the way, if you think Garcia is going to come in there, he's going to be more active. Getting uh, 10-9 rounds at the beginning as Gervonta is a slow starter. Maybe you look for an in-game price. Uh, there's going to be several books around town, I'm sure, dealing the fight on the in-game. All right. Speaking of uh, in-game, we look at the or mid-series, you know, adjusted series prices in the NBA playoffs. The uh, Kings and Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that uh, in game number two in Sacramento that the Warriors uh, got a ton of money. And I loved the Warriors in game three despite... The, no Draymond Green, but we heard that the ticket count was actually kind of split. It was like kind of yeah. 50-50 where people were actually were, were, were taking the Kings plus six. How did that thing all shake out as we now we sit here with the Kings uh, leading the series two games well, to one? I think the Kings were kind of a square dog yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, no Draymond Green, uh, whether you think it was fair or not. He wasn't. He was suspended for that game. They were kind of a square dog. and I think the wise guys were really more on Golden State in that game. Right now, we've got Golden State minus a quarter on the series price. I always thought they would probably pull out, pull this thing out, because the Kings are—they're a young, inexperienced team. And talk about going up against a team with a lot of experience. You know, the key guys on Golden State have won four championships together. Their coach has been there for how many rings does Kerr have now? Like ten championships. <laughs> yeah. The guy wins a championship like every year, yeah. and they're going up against a young, a very young Sacramento team that I think has a great future. But I, I've always felt like Golden State's going to pull this thing off. Yeah, they got to win Game Four though. Yeah, if they don't win Game Four, they're not going to. I mean, obviously, they're yeah, not, they're done. And, and we were talking, you know, <laughs> in the last segment about who do you trust more to win a Game Seven, a Game Five, and Seven. Even though Sacramento will be hosting those games, you know, do do you, the Kings have been fantastic at home. The Warriors yeah. have been horrendous on the road. You factor all that in, but then again, like you said, you got the experience factor. Who would you trust more if this series plays out where the home team wins the first six games? And Curry doesn't have a long history of winning road playoff games with his back to the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little unfair, but he's always been a little bit of a front runner. You know, whether he's playing Cleveland with nobody but LeBron, LeBron and four guys that they pulled out of the stands, mm-hmm. or the next two titles with Kevin Durant. Last year, Curry was awesome in the playoffs, but he's not a guy that he... I don't know that he has that signature road playoff win in a, in a tough environment. I can't think of one off the top of my head. He probably does. But he doesn't have that long history of games like that. Right. John, did you have last night one of the trends over the last few years that have been very fashionable with a lot of people is home teams down 0-2, yeah. 
coming with the first quarter wager and in the first half. Yeah. First uh, half yeah, you do get that. You get the if they're down 0-2, going back home for game three. You get that in hockey too. Mm-hmm. They'll do it with the first period money line if they're down 0-2, going back home mm-hmm. for game three. I don't even know if anybody's in that this year. Anybody have that description? Down 0-2, going home. No, no, not in hockey. I don't think so. Not but in, in the NBA, they, yeah, they'll bet the first quarter and they'll bet the first half. Yeah. Now it's been priced accordingly over yeah. the years. So you, you've seen the market. Everyone knows that trend now. Yeah. So the market has adjusted to it. I don't know that there's a lot of value in it anymore because I think that uh, the guys, they squeezed enough money out of it and the bookies adjusted. Well, when you know, speaking of that with the Warriors and, and the Kings, uh, I looked at that, the, the first half wager, and – when two days ago when the line came out it was seven and the first half i believe was minus five yeah. and usually you see it, it's cut in half and so everybody was thinking that it's like you know, yeah. i was thinking well you know so you gotta you gotta pay a little bit more for that but it'll be good and sure enough warriors were up 12 uh at the half and then end up winning by 17 it's like alabama first half football yeah. when everybody was, <laughs> yeah. was pounding yeah. that for how many years well, and eventually then, the bookies adjust yeah and there you go you wouldn't see it on a minus seven but i can remember times where the game line was like two Two and a half, and mm-hmm. the first half line was actually more. Yeah, more. Like you wouldn't get a first half line of eight in a game seven, yeah. but if the game line was one and a half, mm-hmm. you might see the first half line two, two and, two and a half. half. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that uncommon because the books adjusted because the trend was just out there. Mm-hmm. If you have a great gambling trend, keep it to yourself. Right. Uh, I'll tell everybody, <laughs> just keep winning money for yourself. Well, we've screwed ourselves doing yeah. all these shows. Oh, I, <laughs> I never giving away the secret I, sauce. I, I've, never, I've never understood that, guys. Right. On like. Uh, Twitter yeah. or whatever medium you want to use. Like, hey, do this. Yeah. It's like, great. Now everyone knows. Uh, <laughs> shut up and keep making money. What series has attracted the most money, whether it was series price or the individual games thus far? Lakers. Yeah, uh, La- I mean, Lakers, Memphis. A yeah. uh, lot of series price action. Most of it on L.A. Uh, good action game, one in game two. I know tomorrow night's game is in prime time. Man, they're spreading that series out, aren't they? I mean, what do they play like every week? Round one. Round it's one. It drives me nuts. Warriors yeah, but and Kings. That's, that's series the same, specifically. Same thing. The, the, they yeah. both have the, the two day, two day, two day. But we will get back to the you know once they get the games five, six, and seven, then it'll just be the one day in between. But you're right. Both well, of those series. You would think ridiculous. that would favor L. A., which I'm sure is what the league wants. Right. Um, obviously, LeBron is in his 20th season. I know he's like uh. the bionic man, but in <laughs> theory, he would get tired at some yeah. point. And then Anthony. Davis is like the opposite of the bionic man. You know, a, a gust of wind could knock him out for the rest of the series. So it's good for the Lakers to have a lot of rest, a lot of time off between games. I think it definitely favors them. Uh, a lot of money in that series. We don't want to see the Lakers. We are not in a good position on Lakers' futures, as you can imagine. We'd like to see Memphis knock him out on one hand. But then on the other hand, I think to myself, Lakers-Warriors second round. Yeah. LeBron against his old nemesis yeah. or that old team, right. that would be awesome for business. That'd probably be bigger than the finals. NBA's rooting for that too. Uh, of no course, yeah. <laughs> well, of course they are. And a lot of fans are too. Well, that would yeah. be great for TV ratings. It'd be yeah. great for volume in the book. It'd be great in a lot of ways. It'd be great to watch too. So I wouldn't hate that. Speaking of value, so we go back before the game. Uh, three last night with the Warriors and the Kings. If you like the Warriors and you believe that, okay, they're going to bounce back, mm-hmm. great value bets, you could say, if you believe the Warriors are going to win. And then I, yeah. I, and I and I point to tomorrow night's game, like the way that uh, Memphis came back and won game two, even though more likely you don't have jaw, maybe for another couple games of the entire series. Do you think there is value there with Memphis? 
Uh, the line seems a little high. Because they still do have home court advantage, yeah. even though the, you know, oh, the they, series they price. You know, yeah. So, yeah. The only thing I'll say to that is I don't think the Lakers are going to be rattled at all about having to go to win a game on the road. But they're just not I, very good, John. Oh, I don't think, think they are. I don't think yeah. they are either. Yeah. I just I don't think that they would have a problem going into Memphis and winning. Yeah. I don't think that they're they are too experienced. They've got too many guys that have been around for too LeBron's done everything. You know, he's yeah. seen he's seen it all, he's done it all. He's won in Boston Garden. He won a game seven in Golden State. Don't tell Dylan Brooks that. Oh, I will. Yeah, well. <laughs> did you hear those comments? No, I did. Yeah. Well, Dylan Brooks. Uh, he's old. <laughs> LeBron is old, but yeah, I think yeah, 10 right. years ago, LeBron would uh, make quick work of Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Dylan Brooks yeah. loses all credibility for wearing the goofy-looking shades indoors by his locker and some goofy jacket that looks like it's a cross between Elton John and Liberace. And something. I don't know what the heck the guy was wearing and what's he, what's he talking about. But, you, you know, you want to poke the bear? Oh, he's fine with poking the bear. But, you know, I, I kind of agree with him. Though. You know, theory, and, and give him credit for 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 stepping out. You know, yeah. Let's hear Dylan Brooks. I've been I've been wanting to, uh, you know, to hear this again. Dylan Brooks talking about LeBron James after Game Two. Yeah, I don't care. He's old. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's I was waiting for that. I was expecting him to do that Game Four, Game Five. He wanted to say something when I got my fourth foul. Um, he should have been saying that earlier on. Um, but you know. I poke bears. Um, I don't respect no one until they come and give me 40. Um, so um, I pride myself on, you know, what I do is defense and taking on any challenge that's on the board. Now, you know, the people are going to listen to that or heard that, and they're going to go bet the Lakers now, right? Yeah. So he doesn't respect anybody until they drop 40 points on, on him. him. Yeah. So he's saying it as if it happens <laughs> with some frequency. Yeah. It's kind of what it's, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think a little much to be talking trash to a guy in his 20th year. Yeah. By the time Dylan Brooks uh, will be in his 20th season, I don't think he's going to be playing professional basketball. No. Those Oregon Duck guys, what do they know, you know? There is some value on Memphis, though, in theory, right? Because there's yeah. always a tax on a team like the Lakers. Right. The books are stuck on the Lakers. We're stuck on the Lakers. We're, we, we know that the public is going to bet the Lakers tomorrow. It's the fourth of four games, which means there's going to be money line parlay rolling yeah. to the Lakers. So, yeah, I think there's probably some value on Memphis. Yeah, I think Memphis is a better team. Remember, they are the number two uh, seed. And they, they do have home court advantage. I mean, if they're going to be a game seven, it's going to be in Memphis. The Lakers did a great job at the trade deadline. Yeah. They are much, much better. The, it begs the question of why didn't they do this the whole time? <laughs> it was like, oh, oh, okay, you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Just put a couple guys that can knock down threes around yeah. them and play a little D, and you're you're competitive. They're not going to win an NBA championship. No. But they're a team that could get to the second round of the playoffs. They, That's a competitive team. They could. But Why they didn't do that from the beginning, I have no idea. Well, one of it, two words, is Russell Westbrook was on the team. No, the well, well, the season. Why, but why was Russell Westbrook on the team? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think that yeah. is why. Yeah. But why? When, when they space it out, like in game one, Hachimura was raining yeah. down threes. And when they space it out, they can shoot with those guys. It's good. Quick take on the Golden Knights game last night. Look ahead, afternoon game, 1 o'clock our time at Winnipeg. What's the line? I was absolutely terrified during the first period last night, guys, because the Knights looked horrible in game one. Arguably their worst performance of the whole season in game one. And in game two, it felt like a little bit of a... A little bit of the same. I mean, a little the, bit of a hangover. The <laughs> save, uh, the save, that ridiculous save in the early in the first period. We have the game basically a pick. The Jets are minus one ten. The Knights are even money. I was trying to pull up the series price here. I'll make sure I have it right. Yeah, Knights minus one forty. Jets plus one twenty. But I think we talked about this last week. You know, the Knights series price or 
power rating is not that high. Right. It's not they're not power rated like a one seed. And Winnipeg is, is not going to be afraid of these guys. Compared to what it started at, to still be at 140 on the Knights. Value. Here we go. Value there, again. There's, there's, there's value with yeah. with Winnipeg. You be, would think. Because that yes. was, well, it was like 155, and I think it ended up going up to 165 on the series price. And now it's 1-1. It's, they don't have Well, home. you can actually make the case that there's value with the Knights as well, too. I mean, you're getting a little bit lower now. And again... Home ice advantage still. If it does, you know, get to a game seven, you're yeah. only laying 140 because in the in the beginning of uh, this series was it 165? We'll see. It, went, I, it I opened was, I, 155, which I thought was extremely low, right? Yeah. And then it creeped up a little yeah. bit. Well, you, yeah, you could argue there's some value on the Jets though. Now, they've already got home ice. Yeah. They've wrestled home ice away. Yeah. Best of five series now, yeah. and and Winnipeg's got home home court. Mm-hmm. All right, my man. We appreciate the time as always, John Murray. He's here. The executive director of the Superbook. Except tomorrow, don't look for him because he's going to be watching some boxing. Well, be I'll be here on the golf course oh, on oh, Sunday. Oh, I'll be on the golf course Sunday. Yeah, I will be. I will be here tomorrow through the day. Then I'm going to go watch the fight. Yeah, fight. It's a boxing pay per view. What time does it start? Like 11 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I won't be here then. I'll, I'll, <laughs> the fighters will be going to the ring about 9 p.m. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so you know, you got time for a good dinner. You got time for everything. You know, before sure. that, no problem. <laughs> All right, John. Appreciate the time as always. Good stuff. Thanks, John. You got it. He is John Murray. All right. Our good friend Jay Cornegay here at the West Bo- uh, Westgate Las Vegas inside the Superbook. There you go. You got to be saying Westbrook now. Yeah. That's it. He was good, though, last night. He was. He was good. He's He carried him, you know. Uh, but he's not. Too cold. <laughs> we come back. Long Kruger's going to join us. Jolton Joe Cortez as we talk a little more. Boxing because it is fight week here in Las Vegas. With the Superbook, the Westgate Las Vegas, our Friday home. Ladies and gentlemen, Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder for me. Inside the world famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas, TC Martin, Marco D'Angelo, my tag team partner here on the bookend weeks, Monday and Friday. 
And uh, we appreciate uh, John Murray for joining us, giving us the sportsbook outlook and the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs as well in hour number one. Hour number two, we talk boxing. Javante Tank Davis in action against Ryan Garcia at T-Mobile Arena tomorrow night. Battle of the lightweights, 28-0 against 23-0. Somebody's O has got to go. <laughs> Look forward to that. And Joe Cortez will be joining us here. Uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame referee, one of the best of all time. Always great having Joe on as we talk a little boxing a little bit later on in the hour. But uh, join us now, speaking of uh, Hall of Famers, uh, we've got uh, the College Basketball Hall of Fame coach and uh, great career, as we well know, and uh, love talking with him. His uh, time at Florida, Illinois, UNLV, of course, here, most recently at Oklahoma. But now he's just loving Las Vegas, living the retired life, but he's always busy. And, of course, uh, you know, he's uh, very involved and actually started the event here, the Las Vegas Classic with Coaches versus Cancer, which is coming up in a few weeks. So we'll talk uh, to him about that. We're talking about, of course, the one and only Lon Kruger. Lon, how you doing, my friend? Doing great. Always good being with you. Likewise, my friend. So uh, tell us, uh, you know, since the end of college basketball season, what, uh, what have you been doing? I know you're working on the event coming up here pretty soon, but uh, what about your downtime? Yeah, we are. The event is uh, May 14 through 16, so that's right around the corner, and uh, it'll be a good turnout and uh, and uh, good cause, of course. Uh, coaches from all over the country use their platform to to uh, bring in their boosters and raise uh, raise awareness and raise funds and the fight against cancer. So uh, it's been good, you know. That combined with uh, you know following the portal and uh, all the stuff r- around college recruiting, that world's changed a lot, and then. Uh, at the center of all of it is the two granddaughters here in Vegas. So it's a, it's a good combination. That's a great combination. No question about it. And speaking of, you know, you mentioned the transfer portal. On, I mean, you are retired. I mean, and you're still, like, you know, digging in the transfer portal. You're following this stuff very closely here now. Uh, I don't know if that's just, you know, because uh, of Kevin or you just can't get out of your system. What's the deal, yo? Well, much more because of Kevin. Uh-huh. You know, of course, it's Rebels, you know, uh, you know, the Rebels, uh, finally, they, they've got a good core returning mm-hmm. from last year. So they hadn't uh, had that the previous year. Uh, had nine guys the first year and eight new guys the second. But this time they returned six or seven guys from last year's squad. So that's a nice core to, to start with and uh, then add some uh, quality transfers uh, to that group. Yeah, and, and speaking of, of the Rebels, uh, we know that they got uh, a couple quality guys. Got they, they got a pair. Of, they got a t- pair of twins that uh, committed to UNLV just a couple days ago. I don't know uh, how much you could uh, uh, talk about that or how much uh, that you know about that. But but talk a little bit about how Kevin has been hitting the the portal here in the last few weeks. Yeah, very important uh, week. Uh, they uh, you know things are starting to pop now. People are making decisions and. Uh, there's over 1,500 kids in the transfer portal, which is kind of a crazy number. But that's the, that's the, that's the name of the game today. Everyone, uh, you know, half the guys on every roster put their name in or graduate, one of the two. So it's a big turnover every year. But, yep, Caleb Boone and, and Keelan Boone, though, two uh, uh, really good athletes, good players that started their careers at Oklahoma State. And uh, Caleb, uh, you know, was uh, transferring here from Oklahoma State. And uh, Keelan uh, actually went to Pacific last year. And he'll come in from Pacific. So uh, two really good guys there. And then Jalen Hill, of course, uh, played Clark High School here in Las Vegas. And he was uh, 
so excited about coming back home and uh, helping the Rebels uh, get this thing going. And uh, Jalen Hill actually played at, at Oklahoma. Obviously, you know, you just retired from that position a couple of years ago. Lon, did you have anything to do with Jalen Hill going to Oklahoma? Actually, Kevin uh, was the primary recruiter. He was our assistant coach at Oklahoma. Right, right. With Jalen out of high school, and he was the primary recruiter uh, to get Jalen to Oklahoma. And then, of course, uh, recruited him, uh, you know, since he got in the portal to, to come back to Las Vegas. So, uh Kevin's been kind of on both ends of that deal. You know, we saw E.J. Harkless, you know, come here uh, through the transfer portal and had a, a fantastic season, was the Rebels' leading scorer, you know, last year. And, you know, Keelan Boone can be that type of guy, too. I mean, he's a proven scorer from the wing. He's got length. He's got athleticism. And, uh, you know, was one of the primary guys at uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, really, and really shoots so well from from range. He's uh, exactly what you said: long, rangy, athletic uh, guy that can really shoot it. So you get that combination. And uh, his uh, brother uh, Caleb is more of a, of a low a low post scorer and uh, really really effective down in there. Shot blocker, uh, protects the rim. So uh, those guys uh, will add a lot to, to the program. Lon, when you were recruiting, and we know this this is maybe not necessarily twins, but they're like been brother combos, uh, how do you approach that? It, you know, when you know that you have like, you know, maybe uh, a pair of brothers that are very close and maybe they'd like to attend the same school, uh, have you ever gone through anything like that as far as recruiting? And, and, and how do you approach that with the family? If they want it or, or, or maybe if you don't want it, but maybe the family would like that. Yeah, it depends. Depends on your roster makeup. You know, do you have room? You know, if you want, if you want them both, then of course it, it's easy. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're sure about one of them and not so sure about the next, then you have to kind of determine, you know, what uh, not only is best for the program, but uh, what are the uh, what are the brothers going to be happy with? You know, to recruit them and to get them, you know, kind of uh, one of them being unhappy doesn't help anyone. So uh, it, it just kind of got to talk through it. It depends on your roster. It depends on. Uh, you know, maybe the ability level of those brothers. Did you have anything like that uh, during your time? Not, not, not really. It's kind of hard to believe that we didn't, but I don't recall a, a brother situation. The closest would be maybe, uh, you know, we had the, the, the Johnson brothers at Illinois, mm-hmm. but both were uh, good players, so it wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision. You know, I think when you have a maybe one brother that's clearly good enough and one is maybe not, that would be a little bit harder decision and. And uh, trying to make it work not only for the program, but also for the family. You know, we talked with you uh, during the Final Four. Actually, we talked to uh, last when I was in Houston, and you were there as well, too, uh, before the championship game. And we saw what happened with uh, UConn uh, defeating uh, San Diego State. Talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on not only the run that uh, UConn had, but San Diego State as well. Well, both, I think, deserve to be in, in the championship game. I thought San Diego State. Played extremely well, hard-nosed, tough, like uh, we know them to be, and uh, and played UConn better than anyone else. Uh, they, they cut in that margin, had down to reasonable uh, number with seven, eight minutes to go, and uh, and yet I don't recall the last time anyone in the NCAA tournament kind of separated themselves from the rest uh, as UConn did. They really dominated throughout the uh, tournament and uh, very deserving champions. So as we see, you know, more and more parity, and again, we saw a 16 seed uh, beat a one seed. The second time it's happened, but hey, it's the second time it's happened in the last what, uh, you know, four or five years. 
with the transfer portal, with older teams, and the success that Florida Atlantic specifically had getting to the Final Four, do you feel that this is a trend that we are going to see more and more in coming years here in college basketball? I believe it is because uh, a lot of those teams uh, that are up pulling the upsets are older teams. They're, they're guys that have been together for a while. They're guys that uh, are a little bit more mature physically and stronger. And uh, absolutely, you know, this this year uh, I think you know, played that uh, 68 team field, uh, you know, five different times. Uh, you might have come out with 20 different teams in the Final Four. I mean, there's that much of a balance, that much parity in the game, and. Uh, it was a great tournament. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of upsets, a lot of excitement, and a lot of really good play. Yeah, you know, like you said, you're removed a couple years, and you were at Oklahoma. That program, along with Texas, leaving the Big Twelve, going to the SEC. I know there's a lot of talk about that from the football perspective, and we're seeing more and more of this. And now look what we're seeing with USC and UCLA leaving the the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten. Uh, give me your thoughts from a basketball perspective. Uh, about those moves with those teams going to those conferences? Yeah, those, those kind of, they're all tough. You know, it's hard to win conference games. So I think with Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC, uh, um, you know, obviously Big 12 has been the best conference in the country the last four or five years, and there's only 10 teams. That's partly what makes it difficult because all the teams are good. There's not any, any uh, games you can kind of say, well, we expect to win this one. Because every uh, every night, the other nine nine teams are really good. And if you go into the SEC, uh, you get 14, 16 teams, so you don't have that that top level of play throughout. Uh, so it'll still be hard. It'll be hard. UCLA, USC going to the Big Ten, uh, you know, uh, big challenge there. It's going to be interesting, all the travel now involved, you know, across country, uh, one coach to the other, and and not just with basketball, but with other sports, too. It's not just basketball and football, but other sports uh, will do that travel as well. Yeah, so uh, this landscape is something that we get used to and, uh, and move forward. All right, the Hall of Fame coach, uh, Lon Kruger, joins us. T.C. Martin along with Marco D'Angelo here at the Westgate inside the Superbook. Lon, just a quick question to elaborate on that travel. When you were in the, I always talk about in the Big 12, how hard it was to travel for a road game to West Virginia because they're not geographically a Big 12 school. Now with the the Pac-12, with UCLA and uh, USC, when they make that trip to Big Ten country and got to go play Penn State at Happy Valley, really how hard is that going to be for a West Coast team? Well, what really makes it hard is, is the time change. You know, like Bob Huggins talked a lot about, I mean, everyone had to go to West Virginia once. You know, Bob had to bring his team to the other nine schools nine different times. So uh, he talked about playing uh, in Lubbock, you know, uh, 8 o'clock game, getting done at 11, you know, traveling back to West Virginia, getting home with a time change of two hours. You know, you're getting back, landing at 3 or 4 in the morning. Now you're expecting your guys to get up and go to class at 8 or 9. Uh, it wears on you. It wears on you over time. And uh, he talked about how difficult that was on uh, on his players. So now – in some cases with the USC and UCLA, you're going to have three hours of uh, time change. You know, you go back to Rutgers or get on the East Coast there. Uh, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough, and uh, that will wear on teams uh, over time. I don't know about you, Lon, but I don't know how many people would look forward to going to Morgantown, West Virginia. I don't know what the food <laughs> options are, are, are there, but that, that doesn't sound like a, a great destination. 
<laughs> that was that wasn't that wasn't the top of our list. Uh, we look forward to that, that's for sure. And plus, it was hard to win. It was hard to win. Yeah. Had that too. Uh, hard to get there, and then hard to win once you do. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about the UNLV program. You've had uh, te- two years now to see Kevin uh, in action. Uh, let's, let's, you know, I know you're a tough grader. You're a tough professor, but uh, how, how would you grade, you know, year one to year two for Kevin, and, and uh, how do you see him approaching this, this offseason here, and what do you think he, he's learned from his two years as a head coach? Well, you learn, you learn something every year, whether you've done it two years or, or 22 years. You know, you're going to learn every year, and uh, that's great. The uh, value of experience, no question. Uh, you know, I thought uh, the program uh, you know, is much more foundation now than, uh, than it was two years ago. And, that, again, just returning six or seven players is a starting point there because he hadn't had that the previous two years. Uh, this time we'll have the coaching staff, you know, for the first time in back-to-back years. Yeah. So that will be a nice uh, nice change as well. And uh, then, of course, that that's a good recruiting class coming in to join the group. So uh, moving in a good direction, you know, long ways to go. Uh, you know, expectations that UNLV should be to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's been a long time since that happened. So uh, we got to get there, first of all, and then we've got to win some games in the NCAA tournament. But uh, the proud basketball tradition, uh, a lot of history, uh, you know, a lot of good, uh, good memories for a lot of people, and uh, we need to get back to that point for sure. So now that you're back here uh, and you're living here and you're uh, in the community and you're around the program on a, on a daily basis, what differences uh, have you noticed that uh, stand out to you from your time here going back, you know, 14, 15 years ago to uh, everything here in Las Vegas, uh, the campus and, and uh, the program at UNLV? Well, everything continues to grow. You know, the, the town, city grows and uh, you no know, uh, population changes. Uh, you know, we've got to we've got to win games to get people back in the Thomas and Mac. Yep. You know, that's a huge difference. Uh, and uh, I think I think they're positioned to do that this year. They got a good start last year, and the crowds crowds improved, and then they didn't finish. You know, like they wanted to in conference play, and uh, and I think uh, the starting point this year is a little better. So uh, get those crowds going again, and uh, and I think with. Uh, you know, Jalen Hill now coming back home, Isaiah Cottrell uh, being a local guy back home. Uh, they need to keep uh, the local talent in Vegas at UNLV. I think that's going to happen more and more with time. Lon, what has always been your philosophy when it comes to non-conference scheduling? Well, it's hard. It's hard to schedule. It, it, it's something you say, well, why, why wouldn't you just, especially in a, in a town, uh, in a program like UNLV's, you know, if you, you try to schedule the Big Ten, you try to schedule the Pac-12, you try to schedule, you know, uh, the Power Five conferences. But sometimes, you know, those schools are saying, you know, hey, we got we got nothing to gain, everything to lose. And uh, so it's not like everyone's chomping at the bit to play a, a school like UNLV. But the John Henry works really hard on that, uh, along with uh, Coach Kev, and and uh, they'll, they'll get a good schedule. They'll get a good schedule, and uh, and uh, the key is. Uh, having a schedule that will help you with an at-large 
resume come NCAA tournament time. It, in, in speaking of which, and that's one of the reasons why I asked you that question, is it, it, there is a lot of emphasis on that, you know, when it comes to that committee, you know, deciding, you know, who's going to get the at-large bids, you know, if you don't win, you know, your conference tournament and get the automatic bid about scheduling that non-conference. And, I mean, do you, do you like to schedule, I don't want to say cupcakes, but, you know, enough of those to, especially early on in the season, to get your guys that, uh, you know, get that, that winning mentality going, but then again, knowing that, hey, you want to challenge yourself as well, too, even though if you're going to maybe risk getting some losses here, but there is really, it's a, it, it's a fine line, isn't it? And I'm just very curious about, you know, how much time and, and how you go about maybe spending time as a head coach and working with the athletic director in, in scheduling the non-conference. It's a very, very important part, and it, it's a balance between you, you're wanting to uh, you know, you, you're going to buy three or four games every year, yep. and uh, and yet, uh, you know, uh, you, you got a schedule strength of schedule in mind, and um, so yeah, I, I think uh, I think it, it's the program's at a point where you know Coach Kev's wanting to wanting to schedule, you know, tough teams. He's, he's wanting to you know play people, and uh, and yet just because you want to doesn't mean the other teams want to come in or go home and home. Right. So, um, but again, Deshaun and, and Kev, they're uh, they're working hard at it. I can hardly wait. Uh, year three with uh, Kevin Kruger, uh, you know, coming up later in the year. Alon, uh, real quick, let's talk about the uh, NBA playoffs. I don't know how close you've been watching. And like I mentioned all the time, hey, you, you coached in the NBA. Uh, how closely do you watch uh, the league itself? And then if you are, uh, what series have caught your attention thus far? Yeah, we'll watch, you know, watch people that we know, you know, players that we've had. Yep. Uh, of course, uh, Trey in Atlanta is, uh, you know, uh, with the Celtics, uh, not off to a good start in that series for sure, but Celtics are awfully good. Then, uh, surprise, uh, surprise perhaps Austin Reeves and the job he's doing with the Lakers. Yeah. Just had a terrific, terrific, uh, playoff run and, uh, has become a very, very key, uh, player with the Lakers. So, uh, good to see those guys, uh, doing well individually and, Hopefully, uh, as teams going forward. But the Warriors Kings always an exciting series. There, Kings are really good, you know. And uh, of course, the Warriors got that uh, championship uh, pedigree, so uh, they're not going to go away easily. But uh, a lot of good series. A lot of good series. Uh, fun to watch. Here's what I want to know, Juan. Uh, you talk, talked about Austin Reeves. Uh, he had that, uh, you know, highlight pa- behind the back pass. He was driving the baseline the other night. Uh, did uh, is that something you taught him? How many times did he use that behind the back pass at Oklahoma? That's what I want to know. <laughs> that, come, that comes pretty natural to him. He got good instincts, and uh, it's not something that you necessarily teach. But the guys that can do it, uh, do it, uh, make it look pretty, pretty natural. And uh, Austin's one of those for sure. All right, so uh, per, let's look at uh, this, this playoff series here. Uh, I've been watching, obviously, the Kings and, and, the, and the Warriors very closely. Who are you picking in that series? And I also want to, uh, your opinion on Memphis and, and the Lakers. Well, it's hard, it's hard to pick against the Warriors. Uh, you know, uh, they'll need to win, uh, you know, at some point, protect the home court, win one at Sacramento. So not easy, not easy to do. Uh, I think the Kings are really good. The Kings are really good, but... You know, the, the Warriors have that championship mentality and they expect to win. And, uh, of course, with Steph and uh, Thompson and, uh, and uh, all those guys that um, have been there and done it before, it's, uh, that's very valuable. Uh, but, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings don't win that series. I think the Kings might be a better team overall, just haven't done it before, which, uh, 
could uh, keep them from winning it uh, this year. Then the Lakers, uh, you know, I think, I think the Lakers have got a lot of good things going for them right now. You know, having won one on the road already, you know, it's a good start. Now they just have to protect the home court. And, you and look, I, think, I think they'll be able to. And you look at the East, uh, we see Philadelphia rolling. Uh, Milwaukee dropped their first game, but of course you got the injury with Giannis here. And, and, and speaking of, of, of Giannis, uh, that back injury, uh, talk a little bit about how, you know, I guess damaging a injury like that can be with your back, uh, especially when you're trying to play through it. And then, you know, obviously he couldn't play through it. He couldn't, you had to sit out in game two. Um, you know, that, that seems like a very treacherous injury. What, what do you think the time frame on that, on a recovery like that is? Absolutely no way of knowing. I mean, a back can, can you know, that can be a couple of days or it can be a couple of months. Uh, you know, you, you don't have any idea, you, you know, everything, the, the back injury, uh, every movement, you know, can be, a, you know, can affect the pain, <laughs> uh, the pain level. And uh, certainly uh, Giannis is going to play if he's able, no doubt about that. But uh, that back, uh, you know, those are hard to measure. And especially time uh, time to recovery is impossible to know. Uh, each case is so unique. Which team do you like coming out of the East? Wow, it's a good balance, good balance there. You know, you, you got like uh, Philly, you got like Boston. I think those two, those two uh, probably uh, down the stretch uh, would expect uh, uh, to be there in the end. All right, he is Lon Kruger. Coaches versus Cancer, the Las Vegas Golf Classic. Uh, it's been here since 2008, 16 years. Uh, Lon and his great uh, crew have raised over $12 million so far. And uh, their golf event is coming up uh, May 14th through 16th. Um, looking forward to that, Lon. Talk a little bit about that and how people can get involved. Yeah, it's a, it's a good event. Coaches uh, use their platform to uh, bring uh, their boosters from all over the country. Uh, you know, we'll have uh, 20, 25 uh, head coaches here with their boosters. It's kind of become a reunion mm-hmm. over the 16, 17 years. Uh, MGM, of course, uh, International's uh, a uh, great sponsor for us uh, here locally, Stanford Health, on a national scale, uh, you know, among many other sponsors. Uh, just a good team effort in uh, raising dollars to, to help save lives. And a uh, long way to go. We've made a lot of progress in the fight against cancer, but a long way to go, and uh, we've got to keep that moving forward. And uh, people can contact uh, Samantha, right, uh, Molinero, to find out more information about the event as well, too, right? Exactly. Absolutely. We're always looking for uh, more sponsorship uh, partnerships, and uh, you can reach out to Samantha and, uh, and get a hold of her for sure. All right. That's uh, Samantha.Molinero uh, at cancer.org. The event here coming up uh, May 14th uh, through 16th at the Las Vegas Golf Classic. Uh, and uh, very proud to talk about that. And again, over $12 million have been raised. A fantastic job by by you, Barb, and everybody who's associated with that lawn. So I know that uh, everybody here in Vegas uh, really appreciates that. I know from a media standpoint, we we enjoy talking about it and uh, in, in, in attending it as well, too. So it, it, it's great. So kudos to you, my friend. Well, it's a good team effort. Thank you. And, uh, again, a lot of people involved. And uh, we appreciate everyone jumping in and sharing that ownership. You got it. All right. We will let you go. Have yourself a good weekend. Enjoy the basketball, my friend. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll do it. Thanks very much. There he is, Lon Kruger, uh, one of the best, no question. The former UNLV coach, uh, Illinois, Florida, 
and of course most recently uh, at Oklahoma and a guy who coached with the Atlanta Hawks back in the day so he's still watching them and of course Trey Young plays for the Atlanta Hawks who played for Lon at OU. Yeah good to see and I think for UNLV with the future being uh, you know much brighter than it's been in recent years just having that continuity for a couple seasons now because it's been ever since you know coach rice left you know it's not been stable here i think we finally got a stable coaching staff and that's going to help with recruiting and how can you know you go into somebody's living room to recruit now and you you say what we have in vegas i mean you know before it was just the strip and the night there's you know all it's a sports town yeah. all over the place and going to be another team coming and here's the thing too i mean you go back you know to your comment about the strip that was almost kind of taboo too. You didn't yeah. know when you go into someone's living room if that's going to be a turn on or going to be yep. a turn off, and that and because a lot of people view it as a distraction. But now, it, it, if if I'm head uh, head coach at UNLV and I'm and I'm you know talking about everything you said, wait, you know we got the Raiders, we got the Knights, you know you've got the Aces, you got all this stuff, but you could promote the entertainment aspect of the strip, and you can talk about the sports that are involved in the strip and everything else. And again, you could never do that going 10, 15 years ago. Heck, you know, as recently as when, you know, Dave Rice was here or before, you know, uh, him with Lon Kruger when Lon was here. So it's uh, it's a different argument now, and it should be an easier, you know, argument. Where before, it's like, you don't know how to handle that. Right. And we've got, you know, yeah, the Thomas and Max, uh, you know, an older venue, but everything else in town is, you know, brand new venues. Yeah. You know, it's and they get to play some games yeah. at those venues. So of course, of the this is uh, it's definitely an easier easier sell than it used to be, yeah. and it'll be an easy sell for uh, on the pro side of things to you know free agents to looking at these teams because we've talked about it several times with the, you know the tax benefits to playing in Nevada as mm -hmm. opposed to playing somewhere else. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. And baseball's on the horizon. <laughs> Baseball is with the with the A's coming to Las Vegas in 2027. Okay, we will hit that uh, when we come back. Plus, we'll talk a little bit more about the fight, uh, Javante Davis uh, and Ryan Garcia as well, too. It is a fabulous Friday edition. People here inside the Superbook rolling in, getting ready to watch some basketball and some baseball uh, here at the uh, Superbook. And we'll continue on. T.C. Martin, Marco D'Angelo here on this fantastic Friday. I'm fair, but I'm firm. This is boxing referee Joe Cortez. I always listen to the T.C. Martin show. <laughs> you recognize that voice? That guy, he's fair, but he's firm. And he's with us live now inside the Superbook here at the Westgate Las Vegas. One of my all-time favorite guys, uh, you know, friend of the show, friend of mine for a long, long time. And uh, it's great to have him uh, back with us. International Boxing Hall of Fame referee, Jolton Joe Cortez. What is up, my man? Hey, I'm fair, but I'm firm, you know that? You yeah, know. Keep your guards up at all times. If the right one will get you in, the left one will. Touch him up, baby. Touch him up. There you go. How you doing, Joe? Yeah, I can roll it with the punches. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're looking great, my friend. Good. Great, great, great to see you, man. It's, I got, it's got knocked been a while. Out, I got knocked out pretty bad a couple of a little while back for the COVID, but I came back. I refused to take the full count. Yeah. Yeah. Hospital life for five months, but I'm back like a champ again. Why is it that you never age? That's what I want to know. You probably hear that all the time. I've always taken care of myself. Don't, yeah. don't smoke, don't drink, yeah. no drugs. I've been clean my whole life, man. Yeah. And stay in shape all the time. 
If there's a senior uh, circuit, I think you could, you could uh, get in the ring, man. You ready yeah, to go? A lot of people in the, the other day say, I'm back. I'm coming back. <laughs> but then realize I'm coming back in life. And I got I got like, so many calls and people call me, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I said, no, no, I'm not coming back. I'm coming back in life, man. Yeah, you know? That's great. Yeah, yeah. But I can come back anytime if I, if I wanted to. Yeah. I know they won't take me back at my age. But I'm, I still got a little spark of the old flash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you think about it, we've talked about this before. You probably retired a little bit prematurely from a, from being a referee when you could have kept on going for years. You know, I retired at the age of 69, mm-hmm. and I felt after 35 years as a referee, mm-hmm. I traveled the world over so many times with 176 world championship fights under my mm-hmm. belt, over 1,000 professional fights. I said, you know what? I've had enough. You know, I've got inducted several Hall of Fames already, four of them to be exact. Yeah. I said, you know, I've reached my limit. You know, well, let the younger referees take over, and I can keep on helping them and, and keep them on, on the right track. And I, and I keep helping referees out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of fun. I was watching the movie last night, the George Foreman right. movie, and I, it was nice because, you know, I, I had to do something with his career, with his life, winning that championship at the age of 45. Mm-hmm. So it was an honor for me being the referee for that fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was nice, you know, a good scene at the ending of that movie. It's an amazing guy, George Foreman. If you guys see the movie, would you guys watch it? It's an amazing movie. Can hardly wait for it. So we had Stitch Duran on with us yesterday, and Stitch was going to yeah. the premiere last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm there last night. And you, yeah, and you. I, so I remember I, I got Stitch Duran to cut, man. I got him in. I remember when I was I did the Rocky Balboa movie. Yeah. And Sylvester Stallone told me, "Say, Joe, I went to the movie. I went to the boxing scene to look authentic. How can you help me? I want you to help me with this." I said, "Want me to help you?" I said, I'll help you. You know what? I'm going to get you real boxing people. And Stitch Duran was one of them. Yeah. I got him 23 X's in a movie. And it, was, it looked so authentic in yeah. the, the boxing scene. And he did a great job. I know he first he said, Joe, I can't do it. I'm going away. I got to go do a fight in Europe. Yeah. I said, all right, no problem. I'll call somebody else. Half hour later, he called me, Joe, Joe, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I apologize, man. Joe, can, you still got the spot open? I said, I got it open. And he said, Joe, you know what? My wife told me, are you crazy? A Rocky movie? You can't pass out of Fights you can do in Many coming up in the coming years. But Rocky Boo, you're never going to do that again. So he took it. And you know what? He did a great job in that movie. He uh, did. He, Rocky yeah, Balboa. Yeah, and then that led yeah, him to the three Creed movies Creed, yeah. as well, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, a good, he's a good man. All right. So I'm really looking forward to the George Foreman movie. Did, you know how this is. It's you know, When you do the Rocky and you do the Creeds, and we were talking about this specifically yesterday with Stitch. It's like you got like a, a fictional character. Right. But now you're doing basically a biography. And we all know and remember what George Foreman looked like when he was fighting and then older, you know, uh, older on in life. And now you're getting an actor because when you when you cast that actor, you got to make sure he looks like him. He's got his mannerisms, this, that. How do you feel that the movie came across and was portrayed by the actor that played George? I, I think I think they did a pretty good job, you know, because they had him going growing up as a teenager. Then uh, when he won, he went to the job course. He did that, and then he became uh, won the Olympics, and that was pretty good. All, the whole thing it was pretty authentic, you know. I liked the way it looked. You know, he was a little heavy in the stomach when he retired after the first round. You know, after the first time he came, he knocked out George uh, Joe Fraser. Then he. Uh, became heavyweight champion of the world. Then he lost it um, to Muhammad Ali in Zaire. And then, um, you know, he lost to uh, uh, Jimmy Young in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Then he said, that's what he saw. 
Christ came to him that night. Jesus Christ came to him that night in the dressing room. He passed out and one night. He said, I'm going to become a minister. And it, they did that part really good. And then they had him coming back to the gym again. You know, he said, you know, they, they closed down his gym because then having his investor invested his money. He didn't invest it properly. So he had no money in the bank and they're closing up his gym to cut off the electricity. So he had no choice but to come back into boxing. He made a comeback, and he was like over 300 pounds. And then he went back to the gym, and he saw his old trainer again. His trainer told him, hey, listen, you know, uh, if you come out to 260, we can talk. <laughs> so he went and started working out again. He came out to six, 260, yeah. and that's when he started his second comeback. And this boxing, then he ended up, you know, uh, beating, um, I, re- I referee him against uh, Jerry Cooney, who he knocked out. Right. Then he fought um, Jerry Cozier here in Reno. Then um, I did him with the Michael Mora fight. Mm-hmm. At the age of 45, he became heavyweight champion of the world. It was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I did his, um, his first defense against Axel Schultz. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, he retired shortly after that. He, right. A couple of more fights, he retired. Yeah. But he did very well for himself. I was with him last month. He got inducted into the West Coast Boxing Hall of Fame in L.A. And um, it was an honor to see him again. He looks in good shape. Mm-hmm. He introduced me to his family. They were all there with him that night. Yeah, he's a good man, you know. Yeah. Very, very good man. Yeah. So George, uh, he had, uh, I, he had uh, family in Sacramento right. when I was growing up, and I used to give his his son George Jr. a ride home from school every now and then. He'd be coming watching uh, all of our basketball practices and that sort of thing. And uh, so, yeah, you know, what one of eight kids. Uh, yeah, that uh, that George had, and uh, so yeah, we George, had a little, George, had a little George, Sacramento George, ties, believe it or not. Yeah, George one, George two, George yeah, three. Exactly. Four. And then he had a girl. He said, "Well, what am I to call it? Like, Georgette." Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, so you know, he did, he did he did okay for himself, and I'm very proud I, of him. He got involved with that George Foreman grill. Yeah. He ended up selling it. I think for close to 150 million dollars. Yeah. He made more money on the grill than did his boxing oh, yeah, career. Yeah, he did right. Damn right. He did. Yeah. I'm very proud of him. He did very well. Oh, yeah. He's still preaching these days out in Houston, Texas. He's doing pretty good for himself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, I was going to ask you. I said, uh, "Yeah, who refereed that uh, George Foreman Michael Moore fight?" That was me. Man. I remember it very well. And I was shocked what happened that night. Yeah, I said, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, but I'll tell you. I was kind of like he was losing every round. He was. You know, every round it was a night here we were in the tenth round. I went to the corner a couple of times to see, make sure you're okay there. Cause, you know, he was taking punches. He wasn't hurt, but he was taking a lot of punches to the head. So I, you know, I, at my job as a referee, first and foremost, it's the safety of the fighters. So I went in that corner to check him out, making sure he was okay. And again, the 10th round came out, and he came out there with that jab, jab. He, you know, Michael Moore moved the wrong way. He walked there right, right into him. He walked, he walked to his left instead of going to his right. After Foreman hit him with the left foot, then he hit him with a short right hand. Straight right hand punch. Moore went down on his back. He was he was he hit the canvas, but hit the canvas. I tried to push George. And I put him into a neutral corner. He was like in shock. And that's like the whole world was it was punch heard around the world. Yeah. And I looked over and and um, I was counting. I was at four, five, six. When I was at six, I said, this look ain't getting up. <laughs> Seven. Hey, nine, ten. When I said ten, I looked at George Foreman, and he dropped to his knees. He looked up at God, like God, thank you, God. Yeah. Twenty years later, man, after winning the championship fight at the age of forty-five, it was an honor for me, you know, to uh, 
to referee that fight. It was really amazing. A great experience of my life. You know, I say that all the time. There's nothing better than being in an arena at a world championship fight, either that has a, a surprise ending or, uh, you know, just a, a crazy ending, or that ring walk, that ring walk for before a championship fight, uh, no matter what weight level that it is. But being in that arena that night, I, I was, like, blown away. Not only how loud it was, but just like you said, the emotion because yeah. not a lot of people give gave George a shot, right. and the way the fight was unfolding, like you said, it's like, well, you know, every every you lose in every round, it, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it was a punch heard around the world. I mean, it was, yeah. hard. I mean, and being up close, like I was in the middle of these two guys, yeah. you know, and it was a quick punch too. Yeah, you know, it wasn't no it, big it, roundhouse. It's no, like it boom, was, it was like what? It, it was a short right hand punch. Yeah, yeah. sure, you know. Punches that are short are the ones that hurt a lot more. Yeah. So you throw a long punch, by the time it lands, a lot of the power is gone. Right. When it's short, bam! Yeah. It's really short. That's why he hit him straight, flush on the, on the chin. Yeah. It, got, it went on his back. I mean, when he went down, I said, wait. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> Man, this guy, I don't know. Uh, and sure enough, when I went out, I thought five. I said, uh-uh. Six? I said, for sure. No, this guy ain't getting up. And if, if he gets up, I got to get close. Because, you know, Pullman, yeah. like when I, when I did him against Jerry Cooney, he put Cooney down the first time yeah. in Atlantic City. And I remember Cooney got up. I got real close to the action. And Foreman, he came in. Foreman came in with one uppercut, straight right uppercut. Nailed him. And Cooney went down. I grabbed George. At the same time, he was throwing the right hand punch. I grabbed him, pushed him away. Cooney's already out. I just I didn't bother to kind of right. I just waved it off right there. Uh, yeah. Man, that was an amazing night for Josh. I said, man, this guy can punch, man. Eh? But you know, but Cooney hit him with a left hook in the first round and buckled Josh from his knees. And I said, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. But you know, Cooney had a tremendous left hook. He was a good puncher. Yeah. Back to the Michael Moore fight. Uh, our good friend uh, Teddy Atlas was in Michael Moore's corner. Yeah. Remember what Teddy's uh, response was when he saw this guy go down like that? Yeah. That was, Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was in shock. Yeah, I think everybody, everybody, hey, was. the whole, the whole world was in shock. Everybody, I mean, everybody, I mean, even me as a referee, me being up close, I said this guy's getting hit so many punches every round. I said, you know, I mean, for me to go into the corner a couple of times, I mean, I'm just concerned about his, you know, safety, his well-being. I was say I don't want to get hurt seriously. As if I'm going to stop it, at least I'm going, I'm going into the corner. At least I'm selling my call because I know if I got to stop it, yeah. people can't say, why did he stop it? I gave him a chance. I go in there to evaluate his condition, you know, and be okay. And sometimes I'm calling the doctor. The doctor is checking him out just because I want to play safe, you know. Yeah. Because you never know what's going on inside the head. You know, he was getting hit with some hot shots, real hard shots. But uh, thank God he made it and uh, he's, he's, he's safe and sound these days. Yeah. He's, he's a good family man and he's a preacher. He's doing the right thing. So God took care of him. Yeah. The legend <laughs> Joe Cortez uh, uh, joins us. You refereed so many world championship fights. Is there one that sticks out just as far as the emotion or the crowd, the arena, the setting at all that really you know, there's been so many, still you know, gives you goosebumps? There's been so many, you know. Yeah. I mean, I referee Mike Tyson on eight different occasions. Yeah. Of course, the ones when he knocked out um, uh, Larry Holmes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Larry Holmes, he was past his prime. And uh, it, was a, it was good for uh, Mike Tatch's resume that he knocks out Larry Holmes, and he did in the fourth round. But uh, one that really stands out was a competitive fight. A lot of people didn't give this fighter a chance. The great hands of stones, Manuel De Piedra, Roberto Duran. And uh, he fought Iran Barkley in Atlantic City. Yeah, I remember it was a big snowstorm that year, that night in Atlantic City. And that was 1989 when uh, Roberto Duran came out there. And at the end of the first round, 
he hit uh, Iran Barkley with a right hand shot and really clocked him pretty good and he really got really rocked and at the end the bell rang right there he walked back to his corner kind of like in the days you know uh, it was uh, Iran Barkley I never seen him get hit like that and then the fight was very competitive every round and Roberto Duran was uh, 38 years of age and uh, you know Iran Barkley had just finished knocking out uh, Tommy Hearns and uh, Tommy Hearns had just knocked out prior to that he knocked out Roberto Duran so they didn't give Roberto Duran a chance you know against a, a young in his prime Iran Barkley good fighter he had the height he had the reach he had everything going for him the blade and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I ran the blade Barkley from the Bronx New York and uh, uh, Roberto Duran put him down in the 11th round and uh, he ended up winning a, a split decision I, I thought it could have been a unanimous decision, yeah. but he gave him a split, and um, it was a, an amazing night. I can never you know, forget that fight because that fight was like every round got better and better. You know, Roberto Duran got, got clocked a couple of times. I thought he would have gone down. He didn't go down, and uh, he just he stood, stayed there with him. And Roberto Duran, when it was all over, you know, he was saying, Mr. Cortez, I will tell you, man, yo, man you, you did a great job. You, you didn't let me clinch, and that made me fight even more. You made me fight. I said, I, I, I told you from the beginning of the dress room, I don't want any excessive holding. I don't want any clinching, you know, and you didn't do that. And I said, you're not going to get to a clinch. I will tap you. I said, when I tap you in the elbows, get those arms out. Keep punching. Don't be holding, you know, and uh, that's just what he did. He, I made him fight. And the fight turned out to be one of the best ones I ever referee. I think that was my, my 39th world title fight. Right. Then I ended up doing about 176 when I retired. <laughs> you mentioned the Bronx. You know something about the Bronx, don't you? Yeah, well, I was born and raised in Manhattan. I lived yeah. in the Bronx. I went to San Gampas High School in the Bronx. But, yeah, Bronx was okay. There's a tough neighborhood out there. I know. You like going to Yankees games, too. The Yankee game, the Yankee, the old Yankee Stadium, yeah. yeah. It was a nice place to go to. And I remember meeting some of the great ball players uh, when they would come down to the American Airlines Golf Classic down in Puerto Rico. And I was the executive manager of the, the El Conquistador Hotel. And our, my wife, Sylvia, was running the, the golf classics. And uh, she was in charge of that. And I, I was the executive manager of the hotel. So I was um, able to have all these Hall, Hall of Famers, Willie Mays, uh, Mickey Mann, no, not Mickey Mann, Willie Mays, Jody Maggio, Elson Howard, Sandy Colfax, uh, Brooks Robinson, Bobby Bonds, to name a few of the great ones. That were, they were like 50 of them. Yeah. And I had the honor of entertaining these guys in one of the suites. Every every evening after they play golf, I take them to a suite. We have cocktails there. Then from there, I say, all right, guys, that's it. Let's wrap it up. And uh, we call, get ready. We're going to meet you guys at dinner at 8 o'clock. They, they all come up to the restaurant at 8 o'clock at night. I meet them at the, at the restaurant. And Willie Mays and I will hang out. He said, Joe, I got to go to San Juan. How can I get there? Let's go. We get in my car. We drive to San Juan, <laughs> Willie Mays and I. And we had a good time. And um, Bobby Bond was another great guy. Yeah. you know. But he used to love to sing the a cappella, doo-wops. <laughs> and then uh, he played the piano as well. So one day I met his son here, Barry Bonds, with Winky Wright was defending his yeah. title. And... Um, Bobby, uh, Barry Bonds wanted to come into the ring and met security. He said, no, you can't come in there. I told security, no, he's okay. That, that Barry Bonds. Said, oh, okay. So we let him in the ring. And I saw him in the ring. I said, Barry, let me tell you one thing. Your father and I are good friends. We used to, he used to sing a cappella and play the piano. He said, my job. Not many people knew that. I said, your father and I used to hang out till 2 or 3 in the morning. <laughs> him and I singing a cappella and him playing the piano. So he was good. But the nicest guy of all, the best, was Brooks Robinson. Yeah. Brooks Robinson, what a gentleman he was. 
come out there a couple of two years in a row, and we had so much fun together. Jim Palmer, Dermot Munson. I mean, I would hang out with all these guys. It was just amazing, you know. It was like a, a dream come true for myself. I want to hear you sing a little doo-wop. I want to hear you sing, sing some platters or something, man. Let's go. I know how to sing far, far away <laughs> where nobody can hear me. <laughs> uh, no, I, can, I love my doo-wop, man. The I still, know. And the still of the night, you know, the silhouettes. I love my oldies, man. Go, oh, yeah. There you go, man. Joe Cortez in the house. Took a walk and passed your house <laughs> late last night. Come on, Nubchuck. You get, get on the silhouettes. Get on something here. All the here. shades of draw, pull and draw, way down tight. Shove There you go. Shut up, shove it Shut up, shove it That's Joe Cortez appearing nightly here at the Westgate Las Vegas. Of the night. <laughs> No joke. I held you, <laughs> held you tight, cause I love, love you so, promise I'll never let you go in the still of the night. Joe Cortez, let's give it up, man. All right, guys. All right, right. <laughs> Marco, you didn't know you were going to get a show, did you? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah. Hey, you know, I like to have fun. You know, I like to, uh, people think that uh, I mean, all I do is referee. Man, I can't do anything. You put me to do anything, I'll do it. Whatever it is. Starts now. Starts now. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love it, you know. The Joe Cortez podcast, too. Yeah. I've had fortunate uh, to, to be on his podcast and do podcasts with him over the years. And now you got a, another one coming right, you, right now. You're doing on a regular basis. Yeah, huh? I, do, I did the Joe Cortez show. It's on, yeah. it's on YouTube channel and Facebook. I love to. I had a guy today by the name of Adam from Via Brazil restaurant today on my show. Good guy, him and his wife. And uh, his wife, Anna. His, his name is Adam. Good guy. And... Uh, I bring all people from all walks of life on my show yeah. to talk about anything, whether it's medical, uh, law enforcement, uh, sports, boxing, whatever. Yeah. I, like to, I like to bring everybody to the show just to talk about. Mm. I, I, like, I like to pick people's brains. Mm. And if you can sing, even better. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you still go to the fights all the time. Uh, we see ringside. Tomorrow and night. Tomorrow, tomorrow night. Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. Who you got? Well, I'll tell you, man, it's going to be a tough one. That's a tough one to pick for a simple reason that they're both undefeated. You know, even though I saw Ryan Garcia get rocked and got dropped in one of his fights a while back, and uh, mm -hmm. Javante Davis is shorter. He can punch. I think of the, of the two of Javante Davis is a better, uh, has a slight edge on the punching power. But, uh, you know, Ryan Garcia has a reach. He can box. He keep keep a distance, box from the outside, and throw good combinations from the quick combinations from the outside, and don't let him come in. But Javante Davis knows that probably his best punch is going to be uppercuts inside. Got to work inside. Because you got a fighter who's tall, you got to work your way inside, get inside, bob, keep bobbing and weaving, get inside, and use that uppercut. Sometimes you 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 blind him with the jab, then with the left hook, and then Javante Davis probably get underneath, come with the uppercut inside, like he did with. Uh, uh, the uh, the other uh, under undefeated 118 pound that he knocked out uh, a Mexican uh, fighter forgot his name anyway yeah. 
But he, Brian Garcia was a, was has good pot punching power, and he can he can hurt Ryan Garcia, mm-hmm. you know. Because like I said, I see I see Ryan Garcia get rocked and get dropped at one against a guy named Campbell, and uh, he can. Uh, yeah, Luke Campbell. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he can uh, he can get he can be he, it could be a little dangerous for Ryan Garcia, but. Uh, so about the day, he's got to catch him, you know? Mm-hmm. And if, if Ryan Garcia is smart, boxing from the outside, keep him out of bay, moving, moving, keep that lateral movement in the ring, moving up. Don't get caught up against the ropes. You get up against the ropes. Uh, but so about the day, he's been trained to cut the ring off and cut you and get you and get you in that corner. And uh, and he, he, can, he can be very, very dangerous. Does this fight, put it in context, like for some of our listeners here, does it uh, remind you of another big matchup uh, you can compare <laughs> This well, setup with these with these two fighters. Well, you know, I can in a way, but it's a big difference because we're talking about heavyweights. You know, with like right. George Foreman yeah. fought uh, Muhammad Ali or Joe Joe uh, Joe Fraser with uh, Muhammad Ali. You know, but those guys are heavyweight. These guys are lightweights. You yeah. know, it's a big difference. I mean, these guys are much quicker. They can move around the ring a lot quicker. But it's that kind of a, a magnitude of a fight. I mean, so much attention is drawn to these two fighters because they're both undefeated. Yeah. And they're both great punches, and they have a big fan base. I mean, it's a different era. The money, yeah. this fight could generate probably a billion dollars, you know, with the, with the following that they both have. They have millions of followers. And if these followers are going to watch this fight, the money that they're going to spend on the pay-per-view probably can reach a billion dollars or close to it. So it's going to be a, a, a great fight. And if they're real smart... And they, you know, come to be a good fight. I, I can see two and three happening, like it did yeah. with the Red Bull, Holyfield, Tyson, and I mean, uh, um, Muhammad Ali with Joe Fraser. A good fight like that. You want to make it those kind of fight. It could generate that kind of attention and draw a lot of fans, and the money will flow in. They, these guys don't like each other either. So, in, but, in, you, in. you know what? I would say anything. I say, I hate you. TC, you know, <laughs> if I'm not going to do a lot of money at the end, yeah. at the end we, right. shake, we oh. shake hands at the They're end. They're selling it. And again, they, it got heated today uh, at the at the weigh-in uh, as well, to, too. You, so you got you you to sell it, right? The promoter got to tell me, you got to sell this fact. If you don't sell it right, right. I mean, every time you, you push each other, whatever you guys do, yeah. you're going to you're gonna hear the clink, clink, clink yeah. in, the, in, the, in the account. Money going to be coming in. Promote it the best you can. And they're good. Muhammad Ali was good at that. You know, yeah. he's the one that started with all this taunting and all this stuff. You know, mess with me. You're going to go in three. You know, <laughs> you call these guys. Yeah, he had all kinds of things for these fighters. Call them all kinds of names. and generate a lot of interest. People want to see Muhammad Ali fight. But uh, so, so, so that's the way. I think they need a referee out there. <laughs> you need a referee back? I got there it is. <laughs> he's retired, but he's, he is fair, but he's firm. There it is. <laughs> Joe, always yeah. a pleasure uh, seeing you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, it's always and, a pleasure. Uh, being we got right. some big fights, uh, you know, coming up. We got Lomachenko and Haney coming up here pretty soon. That's going to be a very good fight. I mean, Haney's is a, is a, he's in his prime right now. Lomachenko, Lomachenko has seen his better days, but he's soon he's very dangerous. I mean, Lomachenko is a guy like Roberto Durant. You know, you can't you can't say it's over for him because mm-hmm. it's over. It's not over to the last bell rings. You know, right? So let's see what happens. Going to be a good fight. Devin Haney, I remember meeting him up in Mesquite when he was 10 years old. And I said, hey, son, come here, son. Who's your father? He was fighting a PAL junior tournament, and he became champion at a PAL tournament. I said, who's your, who's your trainer? He said, my father. He bring him over here. He fought, brought his father over. I said, sir, this kid is championship material. He was 10 years of age at the time. And uh, 10 years later, he becomes a lightweight champion of the world with the green belt. I said, what, 20 years old? And I, I discovered him in Mesquite when he was 10 years yeah. old and made it. 
And today he won the top one. So he's going to be by the winner of the Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. If there's no rematch yeah. with them, I'm sure there's a, a rematch, a clause, oh. a rematch. And if they don't do the rematch, then what's going to happen going to be uh, Devin Haney and with and the winner, the, the winner yeah. with these two guys tomorrow night. That'd be great. All right, my friend. Great seeing you. Looking great as okay. usual, brother. Keep your cars up, up at all times. And remember, I'm fair, but I'm firm. <laughs> Touch him up. Ha! Jolton Joe Cortez. All right. I want to thank Lon Kruger for joining us today. John Murray here at the Westgate. And, of course, Marco D'Angelo and my man, Jolton Joe Cortez. If you missed any part of the show, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. You can hear this segment, this interview, any of the interviews on the classic interview page, the current interview page, and check out uh, the blogs in there as well, too. And we talk about the A's coming to Las Vegas. Go ahead and read that. And then, of course, uh, our interview with Al Bernstein from a couple of days ago. That is up there as well, too. Stitch Duran yesterday. And then Joe Cortez, because we always got the fights covered, because it is fight weekend in Las Vegas. TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one, and we will get back at it Monday at 2.